Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? I'm thinking about doing an ADHD Essentials live Q&A sometime in the near future. It would focus on parenting and child-centric questions. If it's something you're interested in, please let me know. You can send questions to brendan at adhdessentials.com. On a related note, my monthly Q&A appearance on ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers is coming up on Tuesday, March 12th. In that Q&A, we focus on adult ADHD. Go to adhdrewired.com events for more details. Finally, a big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies, who did the heavy lifting on the editing of this episode. You can find him at idealvideostrategies.com. This is episode 61. Today, we're talking to Louise Clark of Your Parenting Partner. Louise is a parenting coach and also the mother of a child with ADHD. In today's episode, we talk a lot about self-care, practicing it, and how sometimes we need permission to even try. We also talk about how to expand our bandwidth, ways to reduce anxiety, the power of being curious, and how expectations can undermine our ability to stay balanced. All right, let's get rolling. I am a mom of three kids. My eldest is 18 and he has ADHD. My middle daughter is 16 and my youngest son is 13 and neither of them have ADHD. And I am a working mom. I run my own business. I'm actually a certified parent coach and mindfulness coach. So that comes in handy when I'm parenting all three kids, but especially my son with ADHD. It's really, really helped me enormously um, in the way in which I can interact and engage with him. Was it your son's ADHD that brought you to parent coaching? No, it wasn't actually. I was uh, very, very fortunate to be invited to a parent coaching group when my eldest was only three years old. Mm -hmm. So for the last 14, 15 years, I've been attending a parenting group with the same parent coach and the same eight couples 10 times a year. And it is awesome. It's unbelievable. You can only imagine the kind of safe community that we've created for ourselves. And so I got into that. And along the way, a few years in, the parent coach actually pulled me aside and said, I think you should do this. I'm like, me? Why? He said, you're meant to do this. And I kind of dismissed it for a bit, but it definitely sowed seeds. And to cut a long story short, I did. I, I changed my career and I pursued a career in parent coaching. And I absolutely love it. It's my, my passion. I am so fueled by it. I'm inspired and motivated by it. I love helping all parents help their children thrive, but it's helped me enormously in my own growth as a parent and as a, as a person. And I know that it's impacted the way in which I parent um, very differently to what I think I would have been had I not had all the parent coaching myself. So in what ways do you think that you're different as a parent because of your experience with parent coaching? I think the biggest change in me and what my friends actually say to me 
is that they say, you seem way more, like you were pretty chill and pretty calm before all of this, but you're very, very uh, calm about things that I would have absolutely lost it on or I wouldn't have been able to control myself. And they said, you know, you just seem very less reactive, but not that you were reactive before. And I think I would agree with them there that, yeah, I mean, I'm a mom and just because I do what I do doesn't mean I don't react. And especially in the face of ADHD, because let's face it, that is incredibly challenging as a parent to be thrown all the things that were thrown in the face of ADHD. So I would say the biggest piece is that I have learned to control my reactivity and I know exactly what I need to do to maintain my bandwidth, to preserve my bandwidth, to allow me to show up mm -hmm. in a way that allows me to meet my child's needs. Because at the end of the day, if I'm triggered and reactive, as you well know, it's very hard to be the parent you want to be and to give your child what you know they need. I want to poke around in there for a minute because... Yeah, poke away. I see two elements that might be at play in, your, in the reduction of your reactivity. Um, and there's probably other things as well. And feel free to tell me, no, neither of those apply. It's this or mm -hmm. maybe one or maybe both applies and also this or whatever, however that works. For me as a parent, one of the ways that I am less reactive as a result of the parent coaching that I've been doing, as a result of the ADHD coaching I've been doing, as a result of my experience as a teacher, is a lot of the stuff that my kids bring to the table that could be a concern is stuff I've already seen before somewhere else. So I'm not responding strongly to it because I've already seen it. It's not something new. You've seen it in, in, the, in the kids you're working with and parents? Yeah, in the kids I work with, in the kids I've taught, in the parents I've worked with. I just, I already know that that's a thing. So it's reassuring to you. You know, this is nothing new. This is kind of a par for the course in the situation. Right. And that helps you. Yeah. Even if it's something that seems like a big deal, I'm still like, like, that's a thing that happens sometimes. And let's navigate that. There's almost a level of permission that comes with that knowledge. And it's permission that I try to then impart upon the parents that I work with. So, one, I'm wondering if that is playing a role for you as well. And then the other thing that I'm hearing is it sounds like you've, you're focusing on some self-care in there. That's sort of implied. And so that I imagine is also playing a role. Is your self-care helping you to manage your own emotional bandwidth a little more effectively? Oh, absolutely. Without doubt. You know, and, and for years, you know, we all hear, you got to look after yourself, the oxygen mask theory, you know, mm -hmm. put on your oxygen mask and get your own oxygen before you can help anyone else. And as much as we all know this, and we all hear it and we kind of self-care. Yeah, I know I should. I should do it. Many of us don't. And I was very guilty when my kids were younger of just thinking, you know, put myself last. You know, as a mom, you put yourself, you put your kids first, you put everything else first and you're at the back end. I've changed that right round. I really do make sure that I give myself what I know I need. And when I'm working with parents, I, you know, I remember working with, mom, with a mom with ADHD, with a kid that had ADHD. And I said, you know, so what do you need? And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, what do you need for you in order to be a mom, you know, you can be proud of or to, to function well? And she went, I don't know. 
I don't know anymore. Yeah. And I think that's a very normal thing. I think we actually lose completely lose touch with ourselves and of ourselves and we don't even know what we need anymore. So yes, my self-care absolutely plays a huge part in me being able to show up less reactive. And it's a really good point you make about working with I don't work with kids with ADHD, but in speaking to enough mums and parents of kids with ADHD, you get exposed to a broader range of things that are kind of par for the course that would be listed under the symptoms. So if you haven't experienced it yet with your child, because you know it exists and it's on the uh, table, potentially as a nice meal we can eat, <laughs> when it shows, when, the, when it's there, you're like, ah, I knew about this. So now, I've, now I'm being faced with it. So yeah, I think that's a really good point. And circling back to the self-care stuff real quick. As you were talking, one of the things that came to my mind was how I practice my self-care. I have, my upcoming week is going to be a little intense. And I was sort of looking at my calendar and, and figuring out my week and going, there, that's a lot, like just seven to nine client hours and then 11 hours as a school administrator and I'm doing three workshops in two days and I have a Cub Scout meeting that I have to go to and just lots, lots of stuff, plus driving from here to there and all, all of those kinds of things, mm -hmm. as well as a parent-teacher conference for my kid. And so as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, I also added onto that list, I've got four hours at the dojo. I play Dungeons and Dragons. I've got a Dungeons and Dragons game coming up. Um, and those are my self-care, right? That's my self-care, as well as time with my wife, which I actually schedule into my calendar every week so that we make sure we have that time to connect. And I was thinking about my week coming up and how I was looking at it as I have all this stuff to do. Oh my God, this is overwhelming. And then right at the tail end of it, I kind of went, but I've got like, I got some dojo time in there. I got some friends time with the D&D stuff and my wife scheduled in on Friday. And I was thinking about how my kids go to the dojo. My kids know I play D&D. They sometimes play with me. Uh, we play some board games and stuff. And so my self-care practices because I include them and let them know about them, I'm teaching them self-care as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think role modeling, it is especially important. Mm -hmm. and, and I know you have boys and I have a daughter. I think, you know, self-care is across the board for men and women. But mm -hmm. um, I, I think for many women, they tend to put it on the back burner more than possibly the average man does. And I think, therefore, it's even more important to role model it to a daughter. Uh, you know, because many girls grow up watching their mums do it all, say it all, cover it all, you know, and run around and not do much for themselves. And I think, you know, the mm -hmm. sons can watch their fathers do that too. But I think because the mother tends to be in the home more, generally, um, it's important, really important for us to role model that to our kids. I'm curious, though, when you realized you had a more overwhelming full week than usual, if something had to give, what would give? Luckily, none of it has to give because I uh, am very good with my calendar and my time management and planning and prioritizing. Yeah. Um, but if, if something had to give, typically the first thing that gives is my dojo time. Mm -hmm. And that's not because I'm not practicing the self-care. It's because other stuff is conflicting time-wise, right? Like one of those workshops conflicts with my dojo time. And also my Cub Scout meeting conflicts with, a, with another slot of dojo time. I have four slots of dojo time that I can potentially go to. Mm -hmm. And I try to get to three of them. This week, I'm only getting to two. Mm -hmm. So, do But that's not completely eliminating my time at the dojo. It's just kind of paring it down and 
making decisions around that. Yeah. I think it's important as well. It's great you schedule it. And I think that's one thing I, I certainly say to any parent I work with, you have to schedule your own things in. Because if you don't, the day runs away from you and you just don't get to do what you know you need to do and should do. It just, it, it falls off and you just don't see it. You don't do it. And that's why my wife and I have scheduled time to connect. Mm-hmm. 4.30 to 5.30, it's not a lot of time. 4.30 to 5.30 on Fridays, yep. it's whatever it needs to be. And we know that that time is walled off for us to say hi if that's where the week went. Mm-hmm. And next week is not too far from being one of those weeks. Mm-hmm. I've got a decent number of things in the evening that are going to limit how much time I get to spend with my wife and kids. But all of that as well, I mean, coming back to the the, ADA, the how you show up as a parent piece, mm-hmm. it's exactly what we're speaking to here because that it's a very normal uh, part of life as a, as a working parent that you have weeks that are busier and bigger and fuller than usual. But it's at those times when you're at your most pressed and challenged, that's when it's hardest to show up to your kids with the kindness and compassion and uh, non-judgment and you know curiosity that we need to but because we are running around mad crazy people it's very hard to show up that way so the busier you are the more you need to make sure that you're doing whatever you need to do to maintain bandwidth and not be running around with absolutely nothing left in your tank and it's only 3 p.m. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, and and Monday. <laughs> <laughs> On that self-care end, right? The dojo day, one of them, is also my kids' dojo day. So that's kind of time with them. I'll be driving them to the dojo and I make sure we get time in the morning together. And some of that's up to them. Like if they're like mm-hmm. burnt out in the morning and don't want to hang out with dad, that's okay. Cool. Oh yeah. Like if all you can do is kind of veg out and eat breakfast, that's okay. And also on on the self-care side of sort of mom self-care that you were mentioning earlier, a major component of my wife's self-care is reading. And so she'll be on the couch reading, be on a chair reading at the kitchen table, in the bedroom, wherever she happens to be. And my kids have picked that up. So they practice self-care by reading as well. Nice. There'll be days when they're full. We've had a really busy day. It's three o'clock. We finally get home and they're tired and they sit on the couch and they're reading often with each other, like sort of either next to each other, reading different books or next to each other, reading the same book. But that's a component of self-care for them Mm -hmm. that they've picked up from my wife. And I read too. I don't read as much as my wife does, but I read as well because it's important to model that behavior. But that's definitely something they've gotten from her. Mm Mm-hmm. Fantastic. It's great to see that it, you know, it reflects in their chosen behaviors as well. Right. And it's the same with me. I mean, meditation is a huge part of my uh, self-care practice mm-hmm. and my youngest son loves it. So he often comes and joins me in the evenings when I'm meditating and he chooses to, but I don't force it upon the other two. Now, my son with ADHD, I know would benefit enormously from a meditation practice. It's not in, not on his radar. So, you know, for me to force him to do it would be pointless, but he knows I do it mm-hmm. and he knows it's good, but he just, he doesn't get around to it for himself. But my practice is huge for me and role modeling it uh, is great. Them just seeing, you know, they might come home and say, Hey, what did you do today, mom? And I'll say, well, I got to the gym. I went outside. I went for a walk. I did my meditation, 
And I always make a point of saying to them that I need to do that so I can be who you need me to be and who I want to be. And it's a piece so commonly overlooked by parents, especially with kids with ADHD, because they typically run around looking for ways to support their child and find the external support that the child needs, mm -hmm. be it you know an executive functioning coach or working with a child psychologist to help them with some self-regulation and impulse control, whatever it might be. But so often the parents are doing everything for the child. They're not looking at how they can support themselves in order to support the child. It's a big, it's a missing piece in so many of the parents' repertoires or um, ways in which they, they, they go through their day is they just don't get the support they need. And it shows in the way they parent. I mean, you know, it's dealing with ADHD, the things that come to mind are is it's desperately frustrating. It makes you so impatient. It can make you really judgmental. You know, when your kid comes home and the hoodie's on the field or they've gone to school and the lunch is beside the toothpaste in the bathroom or, you know, they tell you, well, you go to meet them at school and they've taken the bus home, you know, things like that. They are so frustrating. And in the moment with them, it's very easy to just come down on them and be really hard on them and criticize them. And I told you I was coming to the school. Now you've wasted my time because I drove to the school. and Now you're on the bus coming home. We've all been there and, you know, we know that for kids with ADHD, their, their self-esteem and their self-worth can be fragile because they get it from, they get it from so many places, the, the negativity in what they're doing. So I, we have to be really careful of how we deal with our frustration and impatience of their behaviors. That's the importance of self-care is to one, help us manage our own Mm -hmm. frustration, anxiety, and anger, and whatever else. Fear. Fear, whatever other non-useful non emotion, right? Yeah. And then also sort of a subtext of all of this that I want to make sure I pull out to the surface is we've been talking about permission, right? That came up a little bit earlier. That's one of the things I try to work with. Self-care can be hard for some parents because they don't feel like they should be allowed. They don't feel like they have permission to take care of themselves because they have to take care of their kids and they have to take care of the house and the dog. And, and then they feel guilty if they do. Right. And so if you're listening and you're a parent who needs permission to practice self-care, we have two things happening here in terms of permission. One is poof, you have permission. We just gave it to you. Mm -hmm. And two, if you further need an excuse, if you need more than permission, if you need an excuse to practice self-care, if you are practicing self-care in a way that your child can see, then you are modeling self-care and you're providing them with a skill for the rest of their life. So that's practicing meditation, that's reading, that's going to the dojo. Journaling, lying in a bath, meeting a friend for a coffee, standing in the garden, bare feet, hugging a tree, whatever it is you need to do for you. Yeah. I mean, it might just be taking a breath every now and again. It might be just staring out the window. It might be lying on your bed, closing your eyes, allowing yourself to daydream mm -hmm. you know it, it doesn't have to be they're they're not the luxuries i think many mums think that self-care is the luxuries it's the pedicures it's the manicures it's the lunches out and yes that that can make us feel good and and it can fuel us 
but we're, I'm not talking about the indulgences and the luxuries. I'm talking about absolute basic needs mm -hmm. that you gave yourself without thinking about pre-kids. Right. If you were tired, you slept. Mm -hmm. If you if you wanted to go out and do something, you went and did it. And you know you have kids, and we're responsible for our kids. I'm not saying just sleep all day, but if you need it, you have to give it to yourself. And if you can't give it to yourself for you, give it to yourself for your child. Right. Because it will help you show up for your child. And you know I I I cannot stress it enough that it is just such a key piece. Yeah, and a component of this that matters and is significant around self-care is socializing. Yeah. Connect with other people because I, I was an ADHD kid and, and I'm now an ADHD spouse, <laughs> like the spouse with ADHD, I should say. So I, I was a kid with ADHD. I am now a spouse with ADHD and uh, we stink. And you need to have someone to vent about us too. You need to have a space where you can go and be like, my kid's driving me crazy. Oh my God, my husband. I don't know what I'm going to do with my wife. Yeah. Whoever it is. Absolutely. You need to be able to talk about us behind our back, hopefully respectfully, but also exasperatedly. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, we need to feel heard. You know, every child needs to feel heard, seen, validated, that their opinion matters, that they belong. Mm -hmm. And it's no different for adults. And yeah, I, I agree with you completely. You know, we need to find a place where we can vent, where we can go and respectfully vent because it is really, really hard. And, um, and to know you're not alone. You can feel very isolated and you can think that you're the only one. When my eldest was, you know, younger and doing the things he did, you know, the other moms would say, oh, it's just a boy thing. It's just because you're really organized. He's not. Like, that's all boys. My son's the same. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel very, it isolated me. It didn't make me feel supported. I felt they just weren't hearing me. Mm -hmm. they, they weren't really hearing me because they were, they were just, you know, trying to, oh, it's fine. That's what boys do. It didn't make me feel any better. So if you have a friend who has ADHD, hear them, validate them, be empathetic, because it is really difficult. And then on the flip side of it, you need that as well. So you need to find a tribe. And there's some amazing online uh, groups. Like there's a Facebook group, the ADD, Additude, ADDtude. There's your group. There's many, many groups where you can get that support and feel like you're not alone. And, and I think it's really, really important because when you then go and you'll say, oh, you'll never believe what happened to me yesterday, blah, 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 blah. Someone will say, oh, I hear you, isn't it hard? And then you feel that you've been seen and heard. Mm -hmm. And then someone might say, you know what I did? I tried this and it worked really well. And the other person might say, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Maybe I'll try that. Through a tribe, through connecting with people, you can really help yourself feel, A, that you're not alone and feel supported, seen and heard because we that's what we all, we all need. We all desperately need it. Yeah, that's the parenting group that you're a member of, that coaching group that you're a member of. That's what you're getting from that is as much as the skills come in, that me too stuff is also useful. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The coaching groups that I run online, that's half of the point. Half of the point is to come on and, and meet people from all over the world, potentially, and certainly all over North America that are experiencing things that are similar to what you're experiencing. And some of them are further down the road than you are, and they have different ideas than you have, and you can apply that stuff. But 50% of it is the, oh, I'm not the only one. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very uh, isolating, lonely place to be when you think you're the only one. And as much as you know you're not, you're just like, no, I am. So I am. No one has it like me. And they don't because everybody is unique. <laughs> but you can bet that they will have experienced many of the things that you're experiencing right. uh, firsthand. And if not, you know, they, they're, they're there to listen to you. They're there to hear you. So find your tribe. Find a friend you can share with. And you need to show up for your kids and meet their needs. And one way to find your tribe is that this November, the International Conference on ADHD will be in Philadelphia. So more information will come on this podcast as time as we get closer. That conference is a great way to connect to people who have ADHD, parents who have ADHD, ADHD resources. Um, so if that's something that is useful to our listeners, if you are close to Philadelphia or willing to fly there and have the means to do so, uh, I can't recommend it enough. I've been there for several years. I presented last year. It's just a f- great, great conference. It's always good to go to those things as well because you hear so many different perspectives and you see it through so many different lenses that you come away so inspired and motivated with with some things that you can you can maybe try. I, I know certainly for me as a mom, something that really helped me a lot was, I mean, A, understanding a bit about ADHD and my son helped me enormously with that because when he was just diagnosed, I think I shared with you when we were talking off this podcast, when he was diagnosed, he had to do a huge school project on ADHD mm-hmm. uh, or he had to do a project and he didn't know what to do it on and he chose to do it on ADHD. So not only did that expand his awareness and, and the information he had about it and his knowledge, it helped me and my husband also learn a lot about it. And he went through that and it's awesome. It's actually on, there's a YouTube, he did a YouTube presentation of it and it's welcome to my world of ADHD. And it's a really cool 20 minute presentation from a 14 year old who was newly diagnosed and the things he has done to help himself manage the condition. And it's awesome. He had humor. There's a lot of feelings in it. In fact, it's quite funny. And in bits of it, he shares his diary, you know, dear diary. And he shares his sort of his screw ups and the things he didn't do so well. (laughs) That's great. And of course, the girls afterwards were like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you kept a diary. That's so awesome. You know, they they were tuned into the fact that he wrote and he kept a diary. It was very obviously appealing for the to them. But it, it is a great insight into what he was thinking, what he was feeling. And I know it's helped many, many kids and many parents alike. And, and not to mention myself, it really helped me because I was new, new to me. I don't actually have ADHD. And I had suspected that perhaps my husband might have. But the more information we gained, the more knowledge we had, he realized mm, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree here. And we'll link that video in the show notes. Okay. So that if the listeners want to hear it, they can, or want to watch it, they can go and find that. Yeah. And it's only 19 minutes long. It's not a huge long thing, but you know, help, it helped me see it through his eyes and that helped me be less judgmental and less critical because I am naturally a very organized person. I'm uh, quite efficient and, and I don't tend to lose things and, I don't forget too many things. I would, but I have systems that would that that help me mm-hmm. be better. And of course, he always used to say, "Well, you never forget, and 
you don't know what it's like. And, and I didn't. And it was very hard for me to be with people who were very, very, very different to me. Mm -hmm. So my, my coaching absolutely helped me. That's where it helped me tame my reactivity. Because, you know, in the earlier years, I used to get really frustrated. And I, I don't anymore. I mean, occasionally I do, but very, very seldom. So as a parent coach and a parent of a kid with ADHD, what are some useful tips? Like what are some insights that you've come away with over the past almost two decades, I guess, that might be beneficial for our audience? My takeaways and my tips, if you want to put it that way, would be to always try and be curious rather than judge. Be curious. Go beneath the surface. You know, beneath every behavior is an unmet need. So be curious as to what that might be. Mm -hmm. In the face of your child forgetting something, leaving something, exploding for no reason, take a pause. Take a pause before you say a word and just hear what they're saying without taking it personally. And I mean, I'm adding in teenager here. So once the teenage hormones start coming in, you know, you naturally have a bit more impulsivity. You naturally have a bit of, um, you know, all the, the hormones that are running and the changes that are going on in the adolescent brain anyway. Add ADHD into that. They can say some pretty outrageous things. They can do some pretty outrageous things. So in the face of those, in the moment, zip it. Don't say anything in the moment. And don't take any of it personally, because very often they can't control themselves. They have not learned to be able to control themselves. So if you can't control yourself, it's game over. We've all been in that. It just spirals downhill. So the things I really work hard at is letting the words bounce off me, letting the behaviors just, well, that's what they're doing, not taking it personally, zipping it, not to say, I'm permissive as a result of it. It doesn't mean they get away with it. It just means in the moment, I'm doing everything I can to not become triggered. And then I can stay, you know, in my wise mm -hmm. leader brain rather than going into my reptilian fight, flight, or freeze and joining them where they're at because they're having a bit of a meltdown. If I go to that point in my brain as well, and it's the two, you know, amygdalas, alarm centers fighting at each other, it goes nowhere. So I do everything I can to remain calm, no matter what is being said and done. Hard, yes, but is it doable? Absolutely. And is the outcome better? For sure. How, how do I actually do it? I, I kind of remove myself from, I detach from it almost. I kind of, I see them as just words. I see it as just behavior. I, I very much, I'm curious. I wonder why he's saying this. I wonder why he's doing this. And it helps me stay more present. I might actually go onto my breath. I might take a couple of deep breaths and try and let that moment pass. Once it's passed, I, I always go back and say, you know, what you said was, for me, it was unacceptable. I, it was very rude. Um, and we talk about it. Whereas if I try and say that in the moment, it gets heated. Tempers flare. So not taking it personally, zipping it, being really good with your boundaries, is, is incredibly important, being able to hold the limits and being able to deal with the pushback. Because, you know, if you've set a boundary and you hold the limit, no child is going to like mm -hmm. the fact that's happening usually. It's being set for a reason. 
Um, so they will push back. So being able to deal with the pushback, to expect the pushback helps me. If I expect it, then, you know, it because it's going to, it's going to happen. That helps me. And the other thing is expectations. Dealing with my expectations. Now, I've just said I expect the pushback, but I'm expecting the negative. So often when our expectations, we're focused on an outcome that we want according to our agenda that they should do. And sometimes those expectations are maybe unrealistic. And having as few expectations as possible. I mean, I don't expect them to remember their hoodie. I don't expect them to forget it. Managing my expectations has helped me enormously. That's an angle. That expectation thing is really important. I got an early lesson in that because we had identical twins. And so it kind of, at least for me, I can't say this for everybody, but it kind of messed with me a little bit because I realized that I had at least some vague expectations of what my kid would be like. Mm -hmm. And then to have two versions of that kid show up and be like, oh, well, then that, that can't be right. Like, because there's no way they're both going to be like this. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're kind of the same kid. Like, they're genetically identical. And so it sort of destroyed my ability to have expectations for my kids. Like, I didn't have the, like, mm-hmm. well, they're going to love to write or love to read or love to whatever or hate to do this other stuff just because of the identical twin part. If they had been fraternal, it might have been different. But the identical part, like yeah. the cognitive dissonance of all of that just ruined it for me, <laughs> which in the long run was great. But in the moment was like, what does that mean? Yeah, I have identical twin sisters that are younger than me. So I, I, I'd not thought of it that way. But as a parent to twins, because they're twins, you'll expect, well, if one likes to read, the other one will like to read. Right. If one likes the color green, we'll just get two green shirts. Yeah. You expect it. You have this, you know, like pre-coded, wired, they're twins. So you expect them to be the same. And they are so not the same. They like different things. They wear different things. They choose different things. So yeah, that shatters expectations. I love <laughs> I love that. And even as my wife was pregnant with them, we were very aware of like, they're not going to be the same kid. And we don't want to treat them like the same kid. So it got shattered before they were even born. That sort of cognitive dissonance for me happened. We don't even dress them alike. That's not a thing we've ever done. Oddly enough, they dress themselves alike all the time. Like they'll come out of the bedroom and like want, they both have red pants and a black shirt on or something. And we'll be like, do you guys know that you did that? And they never do. They're like, what do you mean? And then they look down at what they're wearing and they're like, oh, <laughs> I remember the day my sisters went shopping to different places uh-huh. individually with different friends. They came back home. They were so excited. They got their stuff out to show us what they'd bought. They'd bought the same things. <laughs> <laughs> and they were not happy when they'd bought the same things for, for similar <laughs> reasons. But we're digressing a bit here. But, um, yeah. you know, the expectations is really important. Mm-hmm. And parents find it hard when I say, don't have any. But I have to have expectations. I expect that they're going to get whatever. They might say, but I expect them to get an A. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll work with them because, I mean, if that's what they expect, that's what they expect. But I help them see that in them having the expectation on the child, not only does it set them up to potentially suffer because an expectation is a prediction of the future. And unless they are crystal ball readers, how do they know the child's going to get an A? Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side of that, is that if the child knows 
that mom and dad expect the A, what's that doing to the child in terms of pressure? So I think expectations are, we put ourselves on very thin ice when we have lofty, unrealistic expectations of our kids and with the best of intentions right with the best of intentions we we think well if we don't have expectations they won't so you know ask your kids you know if you could expect something here what do you expect what do you think is reasonable i expect effort and and um improvement that's what i expect yeah that's where i'm heading i'm geeking out as a parent coach kind of because i think that that i have i have an interesting way to split this hair i guess expectations, you're right. Those are a prediction from the future. That's not a plan. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't, we shouldn't have values that we, I guess, expect our kids to uphold. That's not an expectation of a result. Mm -hmm. That's an expectation of process. Our values are that you're going to work hard. Our values are that you're going to put in the extra effort when the extra effort is necessary. Mm -hmm. Our value is that you're going to seek solutions to the problems that you face and be honest about the problems that you face. Those kinds of things, that's all process oriented. Mm -hmm. That's not, did you get an A? Did you not get an A? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. But parents generally, and I'm generalizing here, they don't get caught up in the non-tangibles. They get caught up in what they think are tangible, like the, the, the grades, the result, mm -hmm. the outcome. And they think that that means something like you, you got, you got to be minus. So you're not working hard enough. But maybe that's not true. Yeah, the child might be working as hard as they possibly can, might have put in way more effort than they ever have, and they got to be minus. Mm -hmm. Yes, have expectations of the process, have expectations of the journey, and have expectations on, on the kind of non-tangibles, like things like respect, the things you, you, you can't actually, I mean, you can see respect in the actions I get, but in, in the value systems and the being grateful, being respectful, being kind, being peaceful, being generous, being, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, we can expect that. You still won't get it. Of course you not. still won't just because you expect it doesn't mean you're going to get it. The more you expect, the more you potentially can suffer mm -hmm. because there's a chance you're not going to get it. Yeah. So having reasonable expectations, even of those, the process. Awesome. So just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? The ending essentials will just to, I guess, summarize what we've chatted about. It's been awesome. You know, the self-care, self-care, self-care. Did we say it was important? Yes. <laughs> um, you know, in, in, the, in the face of uh, frustrating behavior or actions or words from your child to, to not say anything in the moment, to zip it, to not take it personally and deal with it at a moment where both, both of you are less triggered and in a better space to be able to work on the process to get you to where you want to be. Be really good with your boundaries, setting limits, expecting pushback, being really good with how you mind and manage your expectations. What are they? Are they realistic? Are they unrealistic? Does your is your child aware of them? You know, support yourself. Get the support you need to be able to support your child. Don't forget about you. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, 
Keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.